Um, This morning, we are starting a brand new sermon series in the book of Nehemiah in the Old Testament. And if you don't know, the story of Nehemiah is the story of this man leading the people of Israel to rebuild the walls in Jerusalem. So the city of Jerusalem is laid in ruin and Nehemiah leads the people to rebuild the wall. But a really important thing to remember is that it's not just Nehemiah who does it by himself, but what he does is is he gathers the people and thousands of Israelites, thousands of citizens of Jerusalem join in and help Nehemiah rebuild in this desperate, desperate circumstance and time for the city of Jerusalem. And we believe as leaders that this is a moment for rebuilding, that this is a moment where you might need to rebuild your life. You might need to say, I've spent this number of this, num- this amount of months just by myself at home. I've stopped doing the things that I love, the, the things that I enjoy. I need to start rebuilding. And we want to encourage you to rebuild your life upon God, upon Jesus Christ, your Lord and Saviour, upon the Word of God in the Bible. We need to rebuild the church. We're still not restored to the place where we want to be. We're still social distancing. The fact that you're all still wearing masks is, is quite frustrating to me. We're, we're still not able to sing with all the gusto. Like there's so, you know, sometimes I think in my prayers, it just comes out that I just really just want to lift my voice in song. And so I'm holding back on the song and coming out with prayers instead. So we, this is a time for rebuilding the church. And we want all of us to be a part. It's not just the leaders. It's, this is something for all of us to be involved in. And we also want to see God rebuild Pharaoh and rebuild this nation. We want the love of God and the hope that we have in Jesus Christ to be at the centre of everyone's lives, not just our lives here in this room, but the whole town and this whole nation. This is a moment for rebuilding. And so as we read Nehemiah together, we're going to learn from this man and we're going to learn from the other people who help him how it is that God would have us rebuild our lives, our church and our town and our nation. And so I'm really excited about this sermon series together as a church. And um, I mean, the first few chapters of Nehemiah are just wonderful. So um, Jason's preaching next week, but I'm disappointed at that because I would have loved to preach to you from Nehemiah chapter two. Jason's going to do a great job. But Nehemiah chapter one is brilliant as well. And so we're going to read it together. The words will appear on the screen. But if you've got a Bible, open your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter one. And I will read it to you. It's quite small there, sorry about that. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Chislev in the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the capital, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I, it's near my writing this by the way, as soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive 
and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though you're dispersed are under the farthest skies, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I've chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people, whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servants and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now, I was cupbearer to the king. So I don't know whether you followed the story as I, I read that chapter, but at the beginning of Nehemiah, Nehemiah hears some bad news. His brother Hanani, along with some other people from Judah, come to Susa, which is the capital of the Persian Empire, which is where Nehemiah is acting as cupbearer to the king. So Nehemiah is in exile. He's not in the nation of Israel. And he's cupbearer to the, the king of the Persian Empire. And some brothers, some Jews come. And Nehemiah says to them, what's going on? How, how are the Jews doing? How are my people doing? How are they doing in Jerusalem? And Hanani says, they are suffering great trouble and shame. That's what it says in verse 3. That's how he depicts their situation. They are in great trouble and shame. The walls of the city of Jerusalem are destroyed and the gates are burned with fire. You see, there's great trouble in Jerusalem. The walls have been broken down. They're vulnerable to attack and raids. All that, we'll, as we read the book, we'll see that Jerusalem had lots of enemies and opponents, people who wanted to keep Jerusalem weak and vulnerable. And one of the reasons they might have wanted to do that is so they could just walk into the city and take the food and the crops that they need and, and really pin down the Israelites and keep them low and keep them in a bad place. So there's great trouble in the city of Jerusalem. They're vulnerable to attack. And there's also great shame. There's great shame. Our once great city of Jerusalem is laid in ruins. These other nations, they're doing so well, but our city is just a complete and utter mess. They were the laughing stock of other nations. Church, the plight of Jerusalem at the beginning of the book of Nehemiah has similarities to the plight of Pharaoh, of Gosport, and of Hedge End in this, uh, this county of Hampshire in this nation. There's great trouble. There's great trouble in this country. We may have survived the pandemic, but we are about to go into a time of, of economic difficulty. We're already in a time of economic difficulty. I, I, I'm so grateful to God. I believe that he's blessed us as a church economically, financially, in terms of jobs. We've got stories of people getting jobs, moving, changing careers during the pandemic. But as a nation, we're going to struggle economically over the next coming months and years because of the impact of lockdown. There's great trouble, but there's even greater trouble than the economic impact. There's a much greater trouble, and the greatest trouble is this, that 
there are thousands, millions of people in this country who live without God. They have no relationship with God. They do not have the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. They do not have the mercy that is in offer in the gospel, in the good news of the Bible. And that means, that, that is great trouble. That is the most troubling position you can possibly be in. Under the wrath of God rather than under the mercy and the love of God. There's not just great trouble, but there's also great shame. I think human beings are quite good at pretending that they're not ashamed. If you, if you go on social media, you see everyone living their best life right now. You know, pictures of the amazing food that they've been eating or, or pictures of all their family. You know, on social media, it tends to be, look at how amazing my life is. Or alternatively, look at how compassionate and sympathetic I am to everyone else who, who doesn't have all the blessings that I have. Um, underneath, people struggle with shame. Now, one of the... One of the parts of my job is meeting with people and having real conversations with people and you'll be surprised how often people say I'm just struggling with I'm ashamed of myself I'm ashamed of this thing in my life so often I'm having that conversation and I suspect even in those conversations people are holding things back that they're ashamed of there is shame in this world people are suffering from great trouble because they're without God and they are ashamed of things they've done or things they haven't done or the situations of their lives. How does Nehemiah respond? Hananiah, his brother, comes to Nehemiah and says, the people of Jerusalem have great trouble and great shame. Well, how does Nehemiah respond? How does a godly man respond to others who are suffering from trouble and shame? Well, look at the answer in verse 4. I sat down and wept and mourned for days. My first point this morning is this. Rebuilding begins with godly grief. Rebuilding begins with godly grief. Now, Nehemiah was in Susa, and he was doing okay for himself. He was in, I mean, it wasn't fun being cupbearer to the king because you were a servant. You had to serve him and do everything that he told you. And we'll learn later on in the story that actually, if you were sad in the presence of the king as cupbearer, you were in big, big trouble. You could easily die for appearing sad in the presence of the king. So it was a, it was a difficult job to do. But in reality, he was doing okay. He probably had enough food. He was well looked after by the king. The king wanted his servants to look as best as they possibly could. So he, in some ways, Nehemiah was in a reasonable situation in this book. He's in Susa. He's not in Jerusalem. And he might have looked on Jerusalem and go and went, well, what? it doesn't matter, does it? I don't care about how they're doing in Jerusalem. I'm doing okay. I'm doing all right. Well, that's not how he reacts. That's not what Nehemiah does. He looks upon the plight of others and he's moved in his soul. He's moved in his heart to mourn and weep for days. You know, this news of Jerusalem has deeply affected him emotionally. He's very sad because of the suffering of, of others. And I believe there is some of us here this morning that need to repent of cold hearts, of selfish hearts. We are unmoved by the trouble and the shame of others. Brothers, sisters, this is not how it should be. This is not how Jesus was. When Jesus walked the earth and he saw people suffering, he saw people in trouble, he saw people suffering from shame, he loved them 
and he cared for them. There's a moment where he looks upon the people, the Jewish people, and he says they're like sheep without a shepherd. They're all wandering aimlessly. They don't know where, where to go. They don't have a leader who's going to lead them in the ways of God. And, and it says he was moved with pity. He was moved with compassion in his soul. I wonder whether you're Christ-like in that way. Are you someone moved with pity, moved with compassion because of the plight of the people of Pharaoh and the people of this nation? Are you, are you moved when you hear of people living in poverty, not just in this country but around the world? Are you moved with compassion? Are you moved to cry for people who are suffering? And when you see people who are without Christ, who do not have God, who, who are living these, I don't know, I, you know, I've been a Christian for a long time, it's difficult for imagine, to imagine just how hard that is, but I know that as, as Andy prayed, God is the very best thing. He's the best thing in my life, God. So I, how hard must it be to do life without God? How dreadful that must be. Are we moved to mourn and to weep for those people who are suffering from trouble and shame? Are you following the example of Christ by caring for others such, in such a deep way? When you watch the news, how do you feel? Do you go, oh, I'm so glad I'm not in that situation. I'm, I'm going to carry on sipping my glass of wine and just enjoy my evening. Or are you going... Oh, I can't believe this is happening in the world. I need to pray. I need to cry. I need to more. Are you moved by what you're seeing on the news? How do you feel about the state of Christianity in this country right now? The state of the church? Are you going, well, I'm in a church and I quite enjoy it. It's going okay. Or are you going, the church is in decline. The churches are small. There are thousands of people who know nothing of God and nothing of Jesus. Do you mourn for that? Are you upset by that? Are you moved for the people who do not have Jesus? How do you think about your neighbours living either side of you or in the flat above? Are you jealous because they, you know, they have a nice new car or they have some, some nice fancy technology that you think, oh, I'm really jealous of them? Or, or are you deeply moved that they're living without God? They don't have Jesus Christ. They have nothing compared to you. That, uh, even if they've got the nicest car, you know, I don't know, for, even if they're driving a Ferrari, what they have is nothing compared to what you have in Christ. I hope there is no one in this room who would trade Jesus for a Ferrari. That would be such a stupid trade. And yet we live life jealous of our neighbours because they have bigger houses or nicer cars or, or more money than us. And yet instead we should be mourning for them because they do not have Jesus. Lord God, would you pour out your Holy Spirit upon us this morning, giving us the compassion of Nehemiah to mourn for others when they are in trouble and in shame. On Monday of this week, um, Jeff and Laurie invited me to attend the co a conference for CRY. CRY is the charity um, that they um, work for. It's, uh, CRY stands for Care and Relief for the Young. And um, I, I went to this conference and everyone else, I think, mostly were workers there. Um, but it was great to learn more about the charity. And the founder of the charity is a man called Martin Dunsford, who stood up and shared the story of how he founded the charity. And the way this charity was founded was that Martin was in Romania with his wife. They encountered children living in extreme poverty, uncared for, unfed, not looked after properly. And Martin, a Christian man who was also a pastor of the church, was moved with compassion, was moved with pity, and cried over the state of these children who were not looked after. 
created, founded a project to, to bless these children in Romania, and that kind of created this snowball effect where actually lots of different projects around the world started to crop up where they, they fed the hungry. I, I, I probably got these facts wrong, so apologies, Jeff and Laurie, but I think in the last year they fed over 5,000 children in 28 different nations. It all started with a man, a Christian man, who cared enough to cry for people who were living in poverty and in suffering. Do you have godly grief? Do you feel sorrow? Do you care for others? Because if we're going to rebuild, if we're going to rebuild, we need to mourn. We need to mourn what has been destroyed, what has been broken, what is left unbuilt. If we don't care, we're not going to join in the rebuilding process. And so I pray the Holy Spirit would give us a godly grief because rebuilding begins with godly grief. But it does not just stay in mourning and grief and crying. Martin Dunstan would have, wouldn't have achieved anything for the charity of cry if he just cried and cried and cried. No. For Nehemiah, mourning turned into prayer. And so my second point this morning is rebuilding relies on prayer. Rebuilding relies on on prayer. Verse 4, Nehemiah says, As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. He fasted, he went without food, and because he was going without food, he was able to devote more time to pouring out his heart to God. As he cried before God and said, This is a terrible situation, Lord, would you move? His mourning, his grief turned into prayer. Now, I want to ask you, when you encounter a problem, when you encounter a difficulty in your life, how do you respond? What's your first instinct when you come across a problem? There are some people who are problem avoiders, and they hear about a problem, and they go, well, I'll just go and do something else, and just, I'll just leave that over there, and, and hopefully I won't have to think about that again for the rest of the day, or the rest of this week, or a month. Are you a problem avoider? Are you a problem fixer? Your first instinct is to you know, get your toolbox out and say, I can fix this problem, I'm going to do it. Oh, and you know, if someone's sharing a problem with you, you're, you, instead of just listening to them, you're like, well, I'll do this, or, or let's do this. we can fix this problem for you, I'll do it. Maybe you're a problem Googler. The first thing you do when you find a problem is you go, well, I need to Google what the answer to this problem is. Um, I, I confess, I, like Google. I often Google um, problems, particularly boiler problems, I find myself googling things about my boiler all the time like what does this flashing light mean and so on and so forth anyway are you a problem googler or are you a problem prayer what's your first instinct when you encounter a problem however big however small over and over in the book of nehemiah nehemiah demonstrates that he trusts god and he demonstrates this trust for god by praying oh there's people in jerusalem and they don't have any walls. I'm going to cry and I'm going to pray. Oh, I'm before the king and I need the favour of God in my life. I'm going to pray. Oh, there's opposition. What are we going to do? I'm going to pray. Over and over and over. Nehemiah shows that his first instinct when he encounters a problem is to pray. And I want to encourage you to follow his example, to be the same. When you encounter a problem, your first instinct is to pray. Even if it's just a small problem, like a light blinking on a boiler. Lord, just help me with this. And then you can Google the answer to the problem and fix it. But start with prayer. Recognise that God is in control, that he is powerful. And of course, in bigger problems, where actually you have no idea what to do, and if you Google the problem, it's not going to help you. We need to be dependent upon God 
in prayer. Do you know, prayerful dependence upon God is a sign of Christian maturity. As you grow, as you grow as a Christian, you will find yourself praying more, being more dependent upon God for help. That's, that's spiritual maturity. That's what, Nehemiah was a mature believer in God. And he shows that by the way he prays. And I, I just think maybe there's someone in here, maybe there's multiple people in here who've been a Christian for a long, long time and you're thinking, I'm not really growing spiritually. I'm not becoming more mature. I'm not stepping out in faith more and more. Can I encourage you, if that's you, and actually can I encourage all of you, make prayer your most important habit. Your most important habit. It's a more important habit than eating. It's a more important habit than having that cup of coffee or that cup of tea in the morning. It's a more important habit than exercising. It's a more important habit even than brushing your teeth. Prayer needs to be your most important habit because God is the one who can do all things. And he is a God who loves you and cares for you. And so the most important thing you can do every day and the most powerful thing you can do in any circumstance with any problem is to go to God in prayer. It's just such a joy of the Christian life. Whenever you find a problem or a situation or a circumstance, to be able to go, I know someone who can handle this. I know someone who can deal with this. I know someone who loves me so much, he's going to do what is best for me in this circumstance. And to go to God in prayer and say, Lord, this is what I'm going through. Can you help me? This is what my friend's going through. This is what Theram's going through. Can you help me? Imagine if Nehemiah didn't pray in this story. We didn't have chapter 1 of Nehemiah. and Instead, Nehemiah just rushes back. So he hears the news. He doesn't mourn or cry and pray. He just goes, right, let's go, Hananiah, you and me. We're going to rebuild the wall together. What would that have said about Nehemiah's life? What would that have said about Nehemiah's trust and faith? It would say this, that Nehemiah trusted in his own strength to solve problems. Nehemiah put his faith in himself to solve the problem. What does prayer demonstrate? It demonstrates that Nehemiah's faith is in God. His faith is in God to change the situation. And you'll see this pattern again, another pattern that will come throughout the book. Nehemiah prays and then he acts. He doesn't pray and sit and do nothing. He prays and then he goes, right, now I can be the answer to my own prayer. But he always does it in that order, every time. It's prayer, then it's acting. Because his faith is in God to change the situation. Would Nehemiah have been successful in rebuilding the wall as he is if he just rushed back and done it himself? I don't know. Maybe God, in his mercy, would have forgiven Nehemiah and helped him rebuild the wall anyway. But Nehemiah does it the right way. He says, I, God's going to rebuild the wall. He might use me to do it, but he's going to do it. God's going to build up this church. He's gonna do it. He might use us to do it, but he's going to do it. God is going to change this town of Pharaoh and this nation. God's going to do it. He might use Christians to do it, but he is going to do it. And that's why we pray, because it's his work, and we're, we're merely partners of him. We're merely um, his servants doing his work. It's him who does it. The most important part of my job as a pastor is, is the work of prayer, actually. I would say prayer is more important than what I'm doing right now in preaching. They say, when you go to these conferences about what a pastor does, they say he prays and he preaches. And and so those are the two two most important parts. But I would say that the unseen part of my job in praying for this church, in praying for you, in praying for the people out there, that is, the unseen work is the most important part of my job. And can I say to you, your most important role in the rebuilding process 
whether you're rebuilding your life, whether you're rebuilding this church, whether you're rebuilding this town, the most important thing that you can do in that, the most powerful thing that you can do is prayer, is prayer, unseen, unseen. Of course, there are opportunities to pray together, and that's what Tuesday evenings are going to be. Uh, this Tuesday will be an evening of prayer on Zoom, and then we'll do a social, and then we'll pray again. But um, I want to invite you to be part of those public moments of prayer. But, but just let me encourage you, make unseen prayer, the, the prayer that I don't see or that nobody else in this, make those prayer moments your most important habit. Because Nehemiah shows that a soft, compassionate heart, godly grief, leads to prayers of faith now thirdly this morning let's consider the content of Nehemiah's prayer maybe you, you don't know how to pray you, you think yeah I want to be a prayer and then you, you start praying you go oh now I don't know what to say I don't know what words to say um, well hopefully this will help you in that because Nehemiah's prayer is a wonderful example of a great way to pray Nehemiah begins with a declaration of who God is. What is God's character like? That's where Nehemiah starts with his prayer. Have a look at verse 5. O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. So Nehemiah begins with God of heaven. Lord God, you are over all. You reign on high. He's declaring God's awesome position of authority in heaven and then he says God is great and awesome God is mighty God is powerful he is awe-inspiring and then Nehemiah talks about God's covenant and steadfast love he says you keep steadfast love and so he's declaring not only that God is in heaven and reigns on high not only that God is mighty and powerful and awesome and great but also that he's loving and compassionate and steadfast in his love towards his people. And I think this is a beautiful and really helpful way to start prayer. It, you know, in some ways prayer is very simple. You just say to God what you're, what you're thinking and feeling. You know, you don't have to have a fancy pattern to pray. Anyone can pray. You just go, this is, this is what I'm feeling, God. This is what I know of who you are. That's, you know, it, it, just use your own words. That's what prayer really is. But if you want to grow in richness and you want to grow in, in, um, in your prayer life, then I would encourage you to think upon the way Nehemiah prayer, prays and think about, as you begin your prayers, the power and the love of God. The power and the love of God. Great and awesome, steadfast love, says Nehemiah at the beginning of his prayer. That is a powerful combination to inspire us to pray. If God is powerful, he can do all things. Nothing is impossible for him. So the person who at the beginning of their prayer says, God, you are great and awesome, that's someone who's going to pray a big prayer. They're not going to, you know, they're not going to pray small little prayers. They're going to go, wow, God is great and awesome. I can pray whatever I like and God will have the power to do it because he's great and awesome. Then combine that with the fact that God is compassionate and has steadfast love. Isn't that just a beautiful, amazing combination? God not only has the power to do whatever he wants, he also always uses that power out of steadfast love towards his people. Lord, I'm praying into this situation. You're great and awesome, so I'm going to pray a big prayer. And I know that you love me and that you're going to answer my prayer in love for my situation. That's a great way to begin 
your prayers, to declare that God is the God of heaven, to declare that he's great and awesome, and to declare that he keeps steadfast love, that he's powerful and loving. You see this all the time in the life of Jesus as well, by the way. Power to do mighty miracles, love and compassion to care for those who are hurting. Jesus reveals who God our Father in heaven is. Jesus is God in human flesh. And so as we see Jesus displaying such power and such love, we see the God who we pray to when we pray. So, I'd encourage you to begin your prayers declaring the power and the love of God. Nehemiah moves on to confession, doesn't he? In verses 6 and 7, which I will read to you. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants. Confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. On his knees before the great and awesome God, Nehemiah is confronted with his sin and the sin of his people, Israel. And so I want to bring another encouragement to you. When Jesus taught us to pray, part of the Lord's prayer that Jesus gives to us is forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Confession of sin should be a regular part of your relationship with God. We should praise God for being powerful and loving. And we should also, as we're confronted with God, confess the things we've done wrong. Admit that we have sinned. Knowing that Jesus died on the cross for the things that we had done wrong so that we might be forgiven. And I think this journey in prayer is is a wonderful thing that will build your relationship with God. God, you're awesome, you're powerful, you're mighty, you're loving. And Lord, I'm a... I've done things wrong this week. I've lied this week. I've, I've been selfish this week. I've neglected to care for others. I haven't mourned for the people who need help. I haven't cared for the people who are suffering. Lord, forgive me my sin. And then, Lord, thank you that I am forgiven. Jesus died for me. I am I'm forgiven in your presence. I'm a son in your presence, Lord God. These are the kinds of journeys we should be going on in our prayers as we confess our sins and remember how merciful and loving God is towards us. So start with praise, move on to confession. Thirdly, think about the promises of God. Have a look at verse 8. Nehemiah says, remember the word that you commanded Moses. If you are unfaithful, I will scatter, but if you return to me, I will gather. He's quoting God's word at him, Nehemiah. He's saying, you put this in the Bible, I've read it, and I'm going to repeat it back to you in order to help me pray. And what he's saying is the reason that Jerusalem has been knocked down, the reason that he's gone into exile, is because of his sin. We sinned against you, God, and you, you tried to teach us something. You tried to discipline us by sending us into exile. But Lord, your word also says that if we return to you, then we will be gathered back to the city of Jerusalem. And Nehemiah is saying, this is what it promises in the word. Let this be the moment when this happens. Let this be the moment where the people of God return to you and you are gathered back into the city of Jerusalem. That, using the promises of God, is a really helpful way to pray. Lord, you say that you love people and you want to save people. Lord, may this be the moment where you pour out your Holy Spirit, bring revival in this town, prayers like that. Lord, you promise in your word that you will love me forever. Lord, may I experience your love now. May this be the moment where I experience that love in a greater way than I've ever experienced it before. Using God's promises, using the word of God to help us pray and ask him for the things that he's already promised. Lord, you promise that when we ask for the Holy Spirit, 
you always provide him. He always comes. That's what Jesus says. God loves to give good gifts and the Holy Spirit is the best gift of all. He's God himself in us. So when you pray for the Holy Spirit, use that promise and believe God that God will answer that prayer. We've got praise, we've got confession, we've got promises. And finally, only at the very end of the prayer, do we have petition. Verse 11, Nehemiah ends his prayer. Give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. We're going to read next week in chapter 2 how as cupbearer to the king, Nehemiah goes into the presence of the king and asks him for something pretty outrageous. And he's praying for this moment now. He's saying, Lord, I I know I need to go and ask the king for help. Would you grant me success in this moment? That's his petition. Lord, grant me success. Help your servant. Give mercy upon my life. So there's room for petition. We need to be asking God to move in different situations. But I I just love the flow of this prayer through praise, through confession, through promises into petition and asking God to move. That's a great model to help us pray. And so I want to finish. I've done this multiple times already through the sermon, but I want to finish by applying this teaching to our current circumstance and our current situation. And so I'm going to encourage you to pray prayers a bit like this. Maybe you're someone, you're going, I need to rebuild my life. I'm, I'm on board with rebuilding. I need to rebuild my life. It's a bit of a mess right now. I haven't lived the way I wanted to for the past year and a half. I need a time of rebuilding. I'd encourage you to mourn for the things, the errors that you've made, the mistakes you've made. We've all made mistakes during this season, but I encourage you to mourn for sin, to cry for the things that aren't quite right in your life. And then to let that godly grief turn into prayer. And then pray something like this. Lord, you are holy and you are a loving God. I confess that over the past few months, I have not lived as your servant. I've not lived the life that I want to. I've not done the things that I want to do. I've not said loving and caring things. I've said hurtful words. Lord, you promise in your word to forgive the sins of those who call on you. And so I call on you, Lord God, to forgive me. And I ask that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit and help me rebuild my life to make me a loving servant of you. Maybe you want to pray for the church. You want to be part of rebuilding the church. And I want, to encu- I want to say to every single one of you, you are part of this mission to build up Christchurch Fairham and to build up the church in this country and around the world. God, God has called you to be a part of this mission. And so part of a, part, all of us should be willing to pray for rebuilding the church. Maybe we should pray prayers like this. Lord, you are the God who has given us the church. Jesus, you are the head of the church. You love the church. You died for the church. And Lord, you you promised that one day we will be presented blameless in the presence of your glory as the church. But Lord, we want to see more of that glory, more of that perfection here on the earth. Lord, you promised to pour out your Holy Spirit upon your people when they ask. You promised to give good gifts. Lord, we pray, pour out the Holy Spirit on the church. May we build a God-glorifying, biblical, fruitful church. Lord, I pray I would play my role in that. Would you rebuild us into the church that you want us to be here in Pharaoh? Or maybe you want to see the nation rebuilt. You want to see the country rebuilt. You want to see this town rebuilt with the hope and the love of Jesus Christ at its core. Mourn for the state of our town. Mourn for for where the people who are without Jesus are living. And then pray for them. And pray like this. Lord, I would love to see revival. Lord, you you are powerful and mighty to change lives. You are great and awesome. 
and you are a God of steadfast love and you love the people that I'm praying for right now even more than I love them. Lord, I confess, or we confess that we have not shared the gospel as boldly and as valiantly as we should have done. Would you forgive us for that? But Lord, you promise that there are going to be moments where the gospel goes from nation to nation, from town to town, goes forth in power, that it's not just words, but it's miracles and healings and awesome movements of the Spirit. Lord, you you promise to do those things. Lord, I pray that this would be the moment where you would bring revival on our town and we could truly say that the town of Pharaoh worships Jesus, that thousands would turn and believe. Lord, please do it for your glory, not for our sake, but for your sake so as I draw to a close let me, let me ask you are you mourning for the situations around us the people who are suffering the people who are in trouble the people who are in shame the people of this town who do not yet have Jesus and are you letting that mourning turn into prayer and then are you praying with praise and confession and promise and petition knowing that God is mighty to answer our prayers the work of prayer is way more important than the other works that you are going to do in in terms of changing this town because it's God who changes hearts. It's God who changes lives. It's God who rebuilds. And we're grateful to him because if you're a Christian here this morning, God has worked in your life. He's poured out the Holy Spirit into your heart. Remember where you were before you met with God and where you are now. He has changed you by the power of his Holy Spirit. This is the gospel, that Jesus died for us on the cross that we might be forgiven, that he rose from the grave victorious, that we might have eternal life, that he poured out the Holy Spirit into our lives, that we might live for him and love him and worship him and have faith in Jesus Christ. And so if he's done it in our lives, he can do it in other people's lives as well. He is mighty to build and to rebuild. And we really believe that this is a moment for rebuilding. I'm, I'm filled with hope. I'm not necessarily speaking prophetically here. I'm just saying I have loads of hope, almost expectation that God's going to do something amazing in this church, in this town, and in this nation. And I'm praying into that, and I want to, you to join me in mourning and crying for the hurt and praying together, believing that God can do amazing things. Let's have a moment of quiet where each of us pray our own prayers whether it's for your own life or for the church or for the country and the town, whatever you want to pray for. And then I will lead us in prayer and we'll end the service. O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God, the God of steadfast love, we come to you in prayer this morning, praising who you are and all you have done for us. 
Lord, we want to pray for our own lives. We want to pray for the church. We want to pray for this town. And we want to pray for this nation. And we confess that in various ways we have not done what is right. We have done things that are that are wrong, that are sinful, that are disobedient to your commandments. We've neglected you at times, Lord God. We've not been full of faith as we should. We've not been bold in our lives. As a church, we have imperfections that aren't according to your pattern given to us in the Bible and we want to make sure that we're always living according to your word. Help us with that, Lord God. We've done some things really well as a church, but other things we haven't done as well, Lord God. Forgive us for those things. And we we even confess on behalf of our town and our nation, Lord, that there are thousands of people who know nothing about you, who give you no worship and no glory and no honour. And in our past, we were part of that people. We were part of that group who did not worship you. We confess these things, Lord God. Lord, we know the many great and awesome promises in your word. You are mighty to change lives. You can help us rebuild our lives according to your will. Lord, you build the church. You promise in in your Bible that you will build the church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And so we pray that would you rebuild this church, Lord God, according to that promise. Build us up in strength and might to serve you and to sing your praises and declare the good news of Jesus Christ to others. And Lord, you, you promise, and I love the book of Acts, in Acts 2, when the gospel is first proclaimed after the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost. And there are people from all kinds of different nations there to hear and respond. Lord, you've done it once. You've done it multiple times in the Bible. You've changed a people. I remember when the people of Nineveh heard Jonah's rubbish sermon and all converted and, and repented of the things that they had done and, and dressed in sackcloth and ashes and, and turned to you, Lord God, crying out for mercy. Lord, you've done it in the past. You've changed cities, you've changed towns, you've changed nations in a moment. You're, power, you're, you're powerful enough to do that. And so, Lord, we do pray, we do petition you, we ask that you would do that here in Fareham, that you would transform Fareham, that you would transform Gosport, that you would transform Hedge End, you would transform this nation of the United Kingdom, that tens, then hundreds, then thousands, then millions of people would believe in Jesus Christ for salvation. Lord, I long to see another work of revival in this nation and I pray you would do that. Pour out your Holy Spirit. But Lord, I pray for my own motives that I would long to see that for your glory and for your sake, that you would get the worship that you are worthy of and for the people who are lost, the people who are in trouble, the people who are in shame, the people who need your forgiveness, who need your help, who need you to take away their shame. Lord, would you move in power to do amazing things, we pray. Lord, make us people who grieve in a godly way, who pray in a faithful way now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.